Welcome to the What in the World is God Doing podcast. Conversations with Highland Park Mission partners here in Casper, Wyoming and around the world. In the midst of global crises and a daily onslaught of discouraging news, this podcast will encourage you about the good work God is doing around the world and inspire you to join in God's mission in our everyday lives. Highland Park Community Church exists to take risks to pursue God and love like Jesus. And our mission partners are courageously living that out at home and abroad. I'm Darren Adwell-Palker, the Go Pastor at Highland Park, and joining me today is Dr. Samuel Stevens. Dr. Stevens leads the India Gospel League, an indigenous ministry organization. IGL's extensive ministry in three Asian countries covers the area of missions, rural development, education, and health outreach to children. Sam holds a Doctor of Ministry degree from George Fox University in the United States. He's one of India's leading missiologists and an authority on indigenous missions. Through initiating Vision 2000, an aggressive church planting movement, he has been instrumental in the planting of over 100,000 rural churches over the past 25 years. We're so grateful that Dr. Stevens is joining us all the way from India today via Zoom. So, uh, Dr. Stevens, thank you for being here with us. We're so honored by your presence. Well, thank you, Darren. Thanks for inviting me to be with you. It's a privilege. Yeah, thank you. You know, I just finished reading your book called Unleashed, and wow, I was so impacted. I just hope that everyone listening can get a copy. We'll have a copy uh, available at Go Central at our church. But Man, for those that are unfamiliar with the work of the India Gospel League, can you share what you all are doing through your ministry? Well, let me begin uh, with a brief history because it requires a little bit of a background to uh, explain what exactly we're doing right now and uh, what our strategy is uh, in terms of ministry. Um, the, I would describe the India Gospel League as an indigenous um, ministry. And uh, I particularly want to highlight the word indigenous as opposed to an organization that was started in the West and then started branches in other countries. Uh, This is um, a ministry that was birthed in India and has grown uh, in India and uh, understands the needs and is able to decide on what uh, the approaches and modalities of meeting these needs uh, should be, of course, primarily evangelism. And uh, then as uh, as an offshoot of that, uh, other ways to reach out and touch the lives of people. So uh, this ministry was started in uh, the late 40s uh, by my grandfather, and then it was followed up by my father. And then I took on uh, the reins of this ministry when my father passed away and have been in leadership since then. Um, The ministry is uh, completely focused on the rural villages of India uh, because a majority of the Indian population live in the rural areas, the villages. Um, About 70% of uh, the population live there. And uh, why have we focused on the rural areas? It's because um, where urban areas are kind of saturated with many organizations, denominational work, and, uh, you know, historically missions has concentrated in those areas. Uh, This has really created a gap between the urban and rural areas in terms of uh, evangelism and the gospel going out to those places. 
And so we are totally focused on areas where the gospel has never gone before. And we, we tra- in, in, for the most part, our work is uh, pioneering in these uh, villages of India. Um, the other thing I'd like to point out about the ministry of the India Gospel League is um, although we have a variety of projects and programs that you might call social, um, all of these are led with the gospel. So we don't go into these rural areas trying to meet people's needs initially and then hope that someday doors will open for the gospel uh, to be heard, understood and accepted. But really, we go in with the gospel and we have found this um, very effective in terms of um, remaining deep rooted and becoming long standing. Um, there are times where, you know, when people can receive some help and then, you know, it's forgotten why uh, we were able to help them. Uh, so we, we lead with the gospel. We go in and don't stop with just proclamation, but ensure that people are effectively discipled and small congregations of believers are formed and gathered together. So it's essentially evangelism followed by church planting. And, and, and one of the ways that you do that, pardon me, is um, through your life centers, your life ministry centers? That is right, yes. Can you explain uh, kind of the physics? I just have that mental image of, of, of those buildings and what that looks like and, and how different that might be of what our concept is of what a church looks like. Right. Um, our whole philosophy and, uh, you know, idea, I mean, the concept Um, on which this is built is that the church should not become an isolated community. And when I say church, I don't necessarily mean a church building, but, you know, the congregation of believers, it's so easy in a situation context like India, uh, when a person becomes a Christian, then they tend to get together and remain an isolated community. But we want the church really to impact the community. And we try to equip the believers with, um, you know, a variety of trainings and uh, essentially equipping them for uh, impacting the community, whether it's literacy or employment programs, skill training, uh, health programs, whatever it is, all of this is done through the local church. And wherever possible, and uh, whenever it becomes, um, uh, land becomes available, uh, we provide a building for them, and we call these buildings life centers. And that essentially becomes a resource in the hands of the new believers or the church uh, for them to reach out to the community. The Life Center usually would be one of the best buildings, constructions in that uh, community where it's surrounded by huts and thatched roofs and all of that. This is a permanent, stable building. And uh, this is a place where people gather to worship, yes, and uh, church-related programs, but it's open 24-7, as you would say. Uh, throughout the week for a variety of programs, reaching out, meeting the needs of the community. And that's why we call it a life center, because it literally brings life uh, to the community. And for those thinking the nicest building in the community, they might have something else in mind. What is the dimensions of of your life centers? Well, essentially, it's uh, under a thousand square feet. Um, the, The big hall that we would build would be about... Um, uh, you know, usually it's about 40 by uh, 45, 25 or so, and then a place for the pastors to stay stay and his family to stay and uh, then equipment to be kept and so on. So that's the main hall or the building. 
uh, you would call it sanctuary, um, that's used as a facility that's, that, that provides uh, for the entire community. So during the week, it's used as a daycare program or a skill training center that would bring you know, opportunities for alternate employment for the people, uh, whatever the needs of the local community. So the church is essentially reaches out and meets the need uh, of the people. So we lead with the gospel, plant a church, then come alongside, equip the church uh, to then impact that entire community. And we see uh, dramatic changes uh, take place. So it's church planting followed by transformative uh, programs um, and projects, if, if you may. Um, but essentially, it's people who've come to the Lord, whose lives have been touched and changed, not isolating themselves from the community, but really becoming the salt and light. Um, that, in a nutshell, kind of summarizes the work of the India Gospel League. Um, so four major areas of ministry. We start with evangelism and church planting. And then as a natural offshoot of that flow of that, we have the rural social and economic development programs. Um, you know, usually a church building is also accompanied by a uh, deep bore well that provides drinking water for the community. That's a huge need in these rural communities in India. People have to walk miles and miles to get a pot of water. And then, you know, we call it our uh, living water program. So it's uh, they receive the living water spiritually from the church. And right next to it, they receive the water for their physical needs too. So it's rural development. And then our ministry reaches out to children and young people, um, touching the lives of children through education, uh, providing care through our homes and daycare programs that take place in the villages, evening tutoring centers, and so on. And then another major area of work um, where you know, teams from uh, Highland Park have come and helped us is our uh, medical outreach. Uh, we have a hospital that's uh, in Salem on the Sharon campus where uh, that's that's where we kind of headquartered. Uh, but all the rural areas also have community health work. And that's part of IGL's outreach, too. You know, in your book, Dr. Stevens, you wrote about how Christians responded during a pandemic in Rome in the in the fourth century. And what I just thought was amazing was obviously that was written before the current COVID pandemic that we're experiencing as we're recording this June 30th, 2020, we're a number of months into the pandemic. For those that are unfamiliar with how Christians stepped up during that time in the early church, can you just maybe just briefly outline that for us and then and then share how is India Gospel League rising to meet the challenges during this current COVID pandemic? Well, when you look back at history, um, starting right from the first century, uh, even when the time or where Christians were going through very intense persecution, um, whenever there was pandemics or plagues or epidemics or any kind of need, uh, it was the Christians in the midst of their poverty and persecution, always reaching out to help people and uh, nurture and care for them. Um, and and historians actually record the fact that you know Christians because of their faith were reaching out, and uh, they also say that there is a direct correlation uh, between these pandemics and the growth of the Christian faith, Christianity, people coming uh, into the Christian faith. Uh, so not only are they taking care of each other, uh, 
And that way they are preserved, uh, they're kept safe, but they are also reaching out to other people. And this starts way back from the very first century, the pandemic, the plagues that happened then, and then the second and the third centuries, the plagues that happened. And then after the fourth century, um, very direct historical records that say that as a result of the pandemic, you know, the many Romans in the, in the Greek Roman world, um, you know, perished, uh, but Christians survived. And that was a great example. And in fact, one of the um, Roman Caesars himself, you know, said when he was trying to revive the Roman Empire and the and uh, the, uh, the their old religion, he says, why can't you folks be like those Christians? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so that we can also uh, take root and grow. Right. One of the things they were confused about the Christians were, were, you know, we don't know who these people are and they have kind of strange beliefs. But one thing we can say is they take care of the poor. That is right. That is right. And uh, yeah, of course, uh, the very fact that, you know, Christians are known for their work is finds its underpinnings in the faith itself. Uh, so pandemics like these and situations like these where the natural disasters or so, you know, they create a lot of fear. And where do you find the answers? The, the gospel provides the answers for that. People are anxious, uh, frustrated, they're isolated, they feel lonely. And uh, the faith, uh, the Christian faith offers solutions to all of these. And then they see people actually living up their faith. And uh, this has been our experience also, you know, when the big tsunami happened, uh, we just saw a surge of churches that were planted during that time. Um, and every single time where, where Christians have reached out and uh, going back in the, the reference I make in the book is, um, you know, Christians were reaching out to those who were suffering because of the value that was placed on life itself, mm. where the Romans uh, were kind of uh, pushing away those who were affected and running away from them, even their own, not taking care of them. The Christians would step in and take care of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's just grown, developed ever since. Um, well, coming to, and, and of course, God's work itself, through miracles happening as a result of prayers being answered. People pray and, you know, miracles happen and, and people see all of this. And, uh, you know, the Christian faith, the churches have, have grown as a result of that. We see that time and time and time again, and we're seeing that even right now. Um, a small story, may I share that? Please. Uh, just two weeks ago, one of our pastors was sharing in these houses, in this Operation Hope, houses of prayer everywhere. Uh, so uh, there was a family that was just singing and praising the Lord and uh, having their prayer time. And they heard a knock and uh, they opened the door and uh, it was their neighbor, a woman uh, who was not a Christian. And uh, she came and she joined in uh, their worship. And she said, I want to pray to your God to please pray for me and uh, ask uh, your God to ask Jesus to, you know, touch my heart and heal me. And anyway, long story short, this woman was so depressed because she was isolated. She was alone and she had no one to uh, take care of because of the lockdown. People couldn't come and visit her. And she was about to commit suicide. And uh, she said, at that time, I heard you singing. And I just wanted to somehow in my spirit, I felt that I need to go and at least talk to them before I die. And that's how I came here. 
so, you know, it's ju just that practical uh, witness and expression and the power of the gospel and the faith and uh, that's expressed by Christians that draws people. Um, yeah, so, so coming to the way that we are uh, responding to this uh, COVID is, um, fortunately, I feel that uh, God prepared us in advance for this pandemic uh, because Operation Hope was not an afterthought. Um, when we were celebrating our 100K celebration, as we call them, I call it, it's the completion of 100,000 churches that you mentioned in the introduction. We said we're going to have a one year long celebration. Uh, and we started that in August. And then in November, when we had the pastors conference, we kind of officially launched this one year celebration of uh, 100,000 churches being uh, planted. And as part of the celebration, we were kind of looking forward to the next 20 years. God has led us so far. Where is he leading us next? What needs to happen? And I'll come back to that later. Um, but we said in order for that uh, vision to be accomplished, we've got to prioritize certain things. And also from uh, the reality that we are facing of increased persecution upon Christians in India, uh, controls that are being brought for Christians to gather in public and worship. So it didn't happen after the pandemic. It, it, it was already there. So we wanted to prepare our people. And we said one of the things that we have to do is, you know, every house becoming a place of worship. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one way to prepare for, for imminent persecution in the future. And we started it in November and we called it Operation Hope houses of prayer everywhere. And I really feel that it was very providential that God really prepared us for that. So starting from day one time of the pandemic, we, we gave importance to that. We said, well, don't feel sad because you're not able to gather together uh, in large numbers as you always did traditionally for worship. Now it's time for you to worship at home and we'll provide some uh, you know, guidance for you to be able to do that. So every day we send them, um, you know, teaching materials, um, audio lessons and so on. People, as far as possible, they listen to it. And uh, then, you know, they kind of discuss that and teach that. So it does two things. It develops leaders within the home. And uh, then it also enables them to, to worship on their own. Uh, so that has been really one strong uh, thing that we have been able to do as far as building people up spiritually during this time. And uh, I really thank God uh, for the vision that he gave to us about this. Well, other areas where we have uh, reached out and uh, helped people and continue to do so is uh, yeah, our pastors. We are working with 7,000 church planters and uh, majority, most of them depend on their congregations uh, for support, uh, both financially as well as, you know, they would bring material, food articles and so on for their upkeep. So they were depending on that. And so first we wanted to reach out and help them uh, initially during the lockdown uh, till they were able to access uh, food and uh, so on. So we provided them some monetary help uh, to all of we to nearly six thousand nine hundred of our church planters, and uh, um, it was quite interesting to see how people from the south, our own people, 
churches were supporting other churches that were in need. Uh, so that was very exciting to watch how that happened. Uh, the big need that we faced in India is, um, you know, our our clientele, so to speak, our church members in these hundred thousand churches are predominantly, uh, you know, marginal economically. Um, they they are of the lower economic uh, strata, uh, daily wage earners and uh, migrant workers, and they are the ones who have suffered the most uh, during this lockdown. Um, I wish we could help everyone, but we were able to reach out through the churches that we, uh, the pastors and the leaders, uh, to help um, thousands of uh, these families uh, that were in trouble, and we're still continuing to do that. Um, the lockdown was total, and it was sudden, uh, that people were not prepared for anything. You know, they were stuck wherever they were. Migrant workers who had traveled to places were not able to get back. Uh, so wherever we had access to help them, we did that. And uh, our believers reached out to people, you know, walking on the highways, hundreds of miles to return home. Um, there was just a lot of suffering. And I'm so grateful for the little that God helped us to do and for the way that uh, through partners, just like you, God has strengthened our hands to be able to uh, do that. But also excited um, with how people have, our own believers have risen up to the situation uh, to be able to share, even in the midst of their own need and poverty, uh, to, to help other brothers and sisters in other places. Uh, children were affected. And of course, uh, we have been reaching out to close to six or 7,000 children through our children's homes and daycare programs and the village centers. Uh, so we had to reach out and help uh, the children because, um, you know, it was a burden on the families. Uh, and uh, we were able to do that. And we still continue to do that during this time. Uh, so it's, it's been a busy time for us, uh, but a time of tremendous blessing. And uh, for, for leaders, it's been a time of revelation as I uh, wanted it to be to see what the future held, was holding for us and how to prepare for the future. And uh, I said day on day one, as I met with my leaders, I said, for the leaders, it must become a time of revelation. As the apostle John was isolated on the island of Patmos and he saw the revelation the same way. Don't worry about the isolation. Don't become obsessed and fearful about this. This is a time where God is calling us and setting an appointment with us uh, so consider it that way. And uh, let's turn our faces to him and open our ears and hearts to him to listen to his voice. And he will reveal how he is working even through this situation. God is still on the throne. And then I said, for every believer, this must become a time of spiritual renewal. Mm -hmm. And that's where Operation Hope, uh, you know, we're still doing that through that. And it's amazing. Even now, baptisms are taking place every single day. I receive pictures of people being baptized. And uh, then I said, for this indigenous church that's emerging, this must become a time to prepare for the future. And it must become a time of revival. Uh, so let's work toward that and uh, use this time as a God-given time. It started off with 21 days, and then it was extended to 40 days, and we completed 90 days last week. And we're now, it's prolonged until the 31st of July. Um, 
huge challenges, huge difficulties, uh, but looking at it from a kingdom perspective, I really believe that this is a time that God has allowed um, you know, for the church to prepare itself. And, and not only in India and in the countries where we are working, but I think this is also a time where you know, the church, instead of saying, oh, we don't have uh, opportunities to do the usual things we've done, but it is a time for leaders and the church, entire church, to, to, to kind of introspect and, and reflect and uh, see how God is preparing us for the future and the changes that we probably need to make. You know, I think that's a long answer to your question, but well, no, it's 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 so right on because we're all experiencing that, and that's what's so amazing about this pandemic is it's not just affecting one part of the world, but we're all in the same boat, and everything that you just said is applicable to us that we need to be engaging our spiritual disciplines as families and in our communities. We we sometimes become so. Uh, dependent on others to do our spirituality for us by going to a place. And I think that's one of the things that I was most challenged by in your book. And, and if you would, Dr. Stevens, could you offer something of a, of a challenge um, for the church in the West? You, you use this phrase mission drift. And um, can you just explain what is mission drift? And can you perhaps lovingly, and, and I invite you to do this. I'm, in, I'm asking <laughs> you to do this. So, um, so I'm inviting this. Would you, would you challenge us and from your vantage point in India, seeing 100,000 churches planted in rural areas where they don't have the resources uh, financially that, that we do here or theologically, perhaps educationally and and yet the gospel is advancing. So what, what is your challenge to the church in the West as you consider this idea of mission drift? Um, well, mission drift is not a phrase that I coined, so I can't take credit for that. It's uh, a phrase that somebody else used, but I just picked up on that because I think it's very important for uh, the church worldwide, the global uh, family of God, uh, to to focus on what its mission is. So first we need to talk about what is the mission of the church. You know, in Luke uh, 4, we read where Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he opened the book of Isaiah and he read out uh, what we call the Nazareth Manifesto. And, uh, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news, to open the eyes of the blind and to set the captive free and so on and so forth. Essentially, you know, in a nutshell, that can be summarized as Jesus's mission. And that's what, that's what exactly what he said. I, today you see this fulfilled. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, what bring, comes to our mind next in talking about the mission of his disciples is, yes, the Great Commission, but also as he stood with them in the upper room, uh, you know, behind locked doors, and he, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you, uh, which essentially is, you know, the same authority, the same power, and the same purpose, the mission for which the Father sent me, I'm sending you out with the same authority, the same power, and the same purpose. And he said, you will do greater things than I have done. I'm kind of picking up passages from here and there. It's not the actual narrative, but essentially trying to define uh, what mission is. But the people who coined the word mission drift uh, were kind of doing it, were describing mission in a, in a very narrow way. But I'd like to kind of broaden that uh, just from, you know, 
proclaiming and 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 uh, just from winning other people to the Lord, but more the mission of the church. Why we were established? Well, we were established to we. The mission of the church is to worship the Lord, to have a right relationship with with God, and very importantly, as critical as those are. Uh, it's also important that the church really lives out, you know, the incarnate presence of Christ as the body of Christ. And I think that's the dimension that uh, the church uh, worldwide has lost. And even we have lost that. Our mainline churches here have lost that. So, you know, we've given a lot of importance to the, the function of the church as the gathering of believers, the fellowship, the koinonia part of it, or the family of God part of it, where we've isolated ourselves into a family of God club. Um, you know, we do our own thing. We have our own fellowship. We nurture ourselves. We feed ourselves spiritually. We help one another. All of that is good. But where is the body of Christ? You know, the church is the hands of God. The church is the feet of Christ. The church is the lips through which Christ can speak today. You know, I always ask my people, I say, uh, can people see Jesus today? Their first immediate response is no, they can't. But then I try to explain to him, do you see me? They'll say, yes. How do you see me? Because you are there. My body is there. Your body is there. That's exactly what Jesus meant. And that's exactly what people, uh, Paul meant when he said the body of Christ, as we read in the New Testament, which is really the incarnate presence of Jesus Christ. Um, and I think that dimension, that part of it, uh, you know, we've kind of drawn a line dichotomized where the body of Christ part has been uh, shifted and handed over, abdicated to parachurch organizations. Well, they'll take care of that. They'll take care of those needs. And, uh, uh, well, the unfortunate part in uh, countries in the West is, you know, the government takes care of much of those needs of people. Uh, whereas in my situation, you know, the government doesn't take care of those needs of people. So when we go into a village and find these enormous, overwhelming needs, and then we plant a church, then it, it's amazing to see how the church expresses itself as the body of Christ. So, and um, that was what I was trying to explain as mission trip. So we've kind of drifted away from that mission, the holistic mission. Yes, we worship the Lord. We are called to worship. We're called to adore uh, the Lord. And uh, we're called to have fellowship. But those are all, you know, different forms and functions of the church. Um, we can't, you can't separate one from the other. You're not just the fellowship. You're not just the oikos body, uh, the family of God. Um, you're not just the bride, you know, sometimes we say we're the bride, so we have to be holy, we have to be isolated, separated, don't taint yourself uh, from the sins of the world. Yes, all of those are true. Uh, it's like the story of, uh, you know, six people who went, blind people who went to the zoo uh, to see an elephant. And, you know, each one touched different parts of the elephant and described it uh, in the way they perceived it. And none of them were wrong, they were all right. But that Part is not the elephant. The elephant the is picture. the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I hope I hope I'm making sense. Um, so we've kind of drifted away to one side. Um, so what causes this drift? Um, you know, 
churches have become re- religion, let's say, Christian faith that's supposed to be a vibrant people movement, for the most part, has become an institutionalized religion. That's one of the causes. Um, um, then the corporate style of functioning. Now, I'm not being judgmental. Um, I'm just being. I'm just saying those are the things that have kind of created the wine skins. Uh, yeah, opportunities to kind of gradually drift away. Um, so the corporatization of uh, of the functioning of the church, the hierarchical structures that we have put in place, Ephesians 4 does not teach that way. Uh, it says God has given gifts that every believer should exercise those uh, gifts of leadership. Anyway, um, and then, of course, a consumer mentality uh, that the church has kind of nurtured unconsciously. We're not deliberately doing it. Um, I was shocked for the first time when I heard during my first visit to the U.S. when I heard this term church shopping. (laughs) (laughs) I said, what? Are you going to go buy a church? (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's just that, you know, you go from one mall to another to find the right kind of things that you want, pick and choose. Um, so those are the things that have created that kind of a drift. So we'll have to see how it can be prevented. And maybe this is a great time. You know, what are the changes that we can bring in? And who am I sitting in, in the developing country uh, to talk of what is happening in the West? The culture is different. The social settings are different. The economy is different. The way things are different. So I'm not saying it in any judgmental way, but I'm looking at the church as a global um, family of God, the body of Christ, and where one suffers, the other one does. So how can we be of mutual help, learn from each other? And, you know, um, in this time where everything is being stripped down, we're not able to meet like we were, Every, you know, we're not able to do the kind of things. And if people were in it for the consumer aspect, now they're really being challenged to say, what is this about? So as you're seeing, we're seeing it as well, that people are really being invited to engage their relationship with Jesus and not have it mediated by somebody else. I mean, we can help. We're meant to encourage each other, but not mediated. One of the most uh, uh, convicting things, um, you know, was uh, one of the after chapter comments by David Ferguson in the book where he wrote his definition of spiritual maturity. I loved it. He said, spiritual maturity can be described as the gap between what you know and what you do, the gap between what you know and what you do. And so I just feel like, man, we are so focused on learning and growing and, and we ought to. But the question is, as a, a mentor of mine, Bob Logan, once said, we're educated beyond our obedience, that we know so much, but are we actually living it out? Are we right, putting it into right. practice? And that's a challenge for all of us listening. What What is that gap? How would you rate your gap between what you know and what you're actually doing, how you're actually living out the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, in simple terms, knowledge for the sake of knowledge has no value. Mm. Paul said knowledge pops up, right? (laughs) That's right. It pops up. Um, but, But if it isn't transmitted and multiplied, you know, it is of no value. I'm, well, I might be a very knowledgeable person, but unless I've shared that knowledge. And isn't that um, the first commandment in, in, in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply, right? <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Yes. And fill the. Uh, earth. I mean, the you. idea is is that 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 God's followers, God's people, would fill the earth, and and as God's presence lives in us, therefore, God's presence is also being extended to to others um, and going out. And you know, as we start to wrap up here, Doctor Stevens, just so grateful for your time. Um, looking forward, you mentioned a vision moving forward. What is the vision of IGL, you know, in the next 10, 20? In fact, I think your achieve vision, if you could explain that to us, is by 2040, right? Achieve, ex- explain um, the acronym and, 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 what, and what the goal is uh, for that. Yeah, achieve uh, by 2040. Uh, in the next 20 years, um, what we feel God is inviting us to and, uh, you know, at the outset, achieve on the surface sounds very presumptuous. We're not trying to achieve anything, but it's an acronym for a church in every village. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it is. Uh, India has about 600,000 churches. And uh, looking back, back at what God has helped us accomplish over the, la- you know, the last 20 years, uh, we, we just celebrated the completion of 100,000 churches. And so we're looking at the next 20 years and saying, if with God's help, we can make some strategic and intentional effort uh, to reach out into the remainder of the villages, double these numbers that God has helped us to accomplish. And then along with other efforts of ministries and so on, we will see a church planted in every village of India. And uh, our conviction is that every village community, not only every village, but every community um, must have a strong, vibrant congregation of believers in their midst. And we talked about the reason why, because the body of Christ needs to be present there to become a channel. And uh, that's the vision that we feel called to. And uh, I really think it's something that is doable not necessarily from a human perspective, but definitely from a divine perspective, God will do it. And in order to impact India, um, that is, I believe, uh, a good strategy to work on. Uh, Instead of simply saying we want to reach India for Christ and we want to bring India under the shadow of the cross, but how are we going to do it? Uh, We want to see a community, uh, a church in every community that's sustaining itself. So we qualify these churches as uh, reproducing and life-giving in the sense that they must be strong enough, vibrant enough, and uh, robust enough in terms of deep-rootedness in the word, knowing what their faith is and are able to effectively communicate that, as well as the churches empowered to reach out and meet the needs of the community. And so if that happens, then within the next 20 years, we can say that one of the largest or the largest unreached uh, nation in the entire world can be reached with the gospel. Uh, It seems so reachable, so doable in that sense, if we work uh, strategically to be able to do that. So that's achieved by 2040. And um, we can't definitely do it alone. We need uh, to work with other organizations that have a similar vision and uh, a similar conviction of seeing a church in every village rather than seeing just, you know, these mega churches in some places where people have to travel distances. Mm. Um, So we will work with them. And uh, then again, we can't, the church in India can't accomplish it by itself. Neither can a missionary, like one 
organization do it by itself. And so we need the help of all of our brothers around the world to be able to join our hands, to be able to say in the next 20 years, the largest, darkest nation on the, on the face of the earth can come under the shadow of the cross. Mm. You know, it reminds me, Dr. Stevens, of John 1.14, where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, the message translation has it something like uh, God became human and moved into our neighborhood. And that, that, that picture is what I'm getting as you're talking about a church in every village. You know, for those listening, we are so honored to walk alongside the India Gospel League through our Faith Promise missions giving. And Faith Promise is an opportunity to partner with God's mission around the world, here in Casper and around the world. And you pray and say, God, what would you have me give this year? And then you look and see how God provides that from unexpected ways so that together we can partner in ministries like the India Gospel League. And uh, back in October, Dr. Stevens, you sent out kind of an SOS call to the churches because prior to COVID, uh, the, the government was cracking down and there was heavy persecution against Christians. And your desire was to train and equip and release pastors for the eventuality of perhaps not being able to meet um, in, the, in, the way that, in the way that you were accustomed to. And that, that is continuing. We were privileged to be able to help with an additional gift of $25,000 to help spur on that training for pastors. So we're just grateful to to be partners in ministry with you. And people visit your website, they can see there's all kinds of really cool and practical ways to become a part of the ministry. Um, I think it's something like for $1,200, you can help put a, a well, a water well in a village. You could support uh, a church planting pastor in a village. You can come alongside a village for five years to help see a church be planted. So there's just so many opportunities for connection. Um, obviously prayer. We, we want uh, to inspire everyone to pray for the Indian Gospel League, and, and we're going to do that here in just a minute. And then I'd love for Dr. Stevens to pray for us, to pray for the church in the West, to, um, to not be experiencing mission drift, but to be experiencing a, a focus on um, who God has called us to be. So, Dr. Stevens, uh, how can we be praying for you and, and beyond the financial, which is so important as we give to Faith Promise and as people come alongside the India Gospel League to support church planters and villages and water projects and transformational economic development opportunities? The, the, the work you're doing is so amazing. Um, how can we support you prayerfully and in other ways? Well, thank you very much for uh, the support that you have been providing. Thank you for strengthening our hands to be able to uh, reach out and touch the lives of thousands of uh, people. Um, not only so, but really, you know, strengthening and uh, and building up this church that's emerging. And uh, sustainability for us is a, a key um, word, and we keep talking about that all the time. We keep telling our people that, you know, you we should not constantly be depending on others, uh, both for our teaching and training. We need to be able to teach and train ourselves and develop leaders who will be able to do that and also take care of uh, the multiplication that needs to happen over the coming years. Uh, so any help that uh, churches around the world can provide in some of these efforts to build sustainability uh, within these congregations in terms of bringing training to them, uh, providing for you know, additional skills and employment opportunities so that economic sustainability can also be built. 
um, those are things that uh, will definitely be helpful. Of course, we have need for life centers always. Uh, right now, there are about 16 life centers that are ready to be dedicated. Uh, so we're going to do Zoom dedications, as we say. <laughs> um, so, you know, those are needs um, that, uh, that are growing. And of course, water wells, um, adoption of a village over a five-year period, the support of uh, these, uh, these church planters. Uh, and yes, Bibles is, is a huge need as new believers come to the Lord. We don't give them away free, but we give them at a subsidized cost that uh, people can afford. And, but still, it needs uh, some financial help to be able to do that. So however, the Lord leads, that would be good uh, for us to hold hands and walk through this together. Um, but I would ask for your prayer uh, at this time for uh, the leadership, um, particularly at this time, to, for wisdom to navigate uh, the present storms that we are going through. Um, when all of this COVID uh, thing is getting, get, will get over, uh, definitely once again, uh, you know, the ruling powers are going to rise up uh, to put the minorities down, uh, control and curb their activities and so on. It already started, but, you know, it's, it's you know, stopped for a little while now. But definitely that's going to come and we want to prepare our leaders, prepare our churches uh, for that, uh, you know, imminent situation. So I would I would ask for your prayer for that, uh, that believers will be strengthened. And this time, obviously, uh, is proving to be very helpful for us uh, in that area. And uh, the results of your investment in the training of pastors, we're already seeing it because that's what we were training them for, to lead their local congregations, to lead their own believers, to equip and train their believers uh, to become sustainable congregations. Um, we call it the Romans uh, 15, 14, 15, 14 principle, where Paul says uh, that uh, I know that you yourselves are full of knowledge and com complete in knowledge, full of good works and competent to instruct one another. And that's what we want to see. And that's what we mean by sustainability. So pray that the indigenous church in the next 20 years will really become uh, sustainable that way, bringing life to the community and being able to reproduce itself. Uh, pray for the training needs uh, with the women and with the young people as well. Uh, the Children's Gospel Club is a, a huge program raising the next generation of leaders. Uh, this year's enrollment is one million children, and the Children's Gospel Clubs are taking place right now, even within these uh, houses of prayer. So that requires uh, your prayer as well. Uh, pray that the doors will be kept open and people will continue to respond. Well, if you would, we'd love to pray for you, Dr. Stevens. And for those listening, please join with me, unite our hearts and minds as we pray for the India Gospel League. So let's go ahead and do that. God, we thank you for the way that the kingdom of God grows like a mustard seed. It starts as a small seed and yet it grows and develops in, in such a way that it, it becomes the largest of the garden plants. And uh, Dr. Stevens and the India Gospel League have been prayerfully and courageously moving forward 
with their mustard seed that you have provided and it is grown and it is multiplied and it is expanded. And we pray for that continued growth and development across the nation of India and to impact the world, continue to provide resources, continue to bless the leaders and the training that takes place and, and help Mm -hmm. the gospel to develop such deep roots that as you talk about that seed that falls along the path, that when the persecution comes, that the seed would have deep and lasting roots and it would not fade away. So we thank you for the good work of the India Gospel League. We bless Dr. Stevens, his family, the ministry, um, give them joy and perseverance, and may your gospel and kingdom continue to grow and expand in hearts and lives in the beautiful nation of India. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Dr. Stevens, would you be so gracious as to pray for us and to... Uh, ask for God's uh, guidance and leading um, and for us to follow the mission that he has uh, granted us as well. Certainly, that'd be a privilege. Dear Lord, we're always amazed um, at the way you you bring people together uh, to build your kingdom and to build each other. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you gave to IGL and uh, to uh, Highland Park to be able to uh, join hands in the work of your kingdom, to partner with one another and be of mutual encouragement, Lord. And uh, right now I pray that, God, uh, Father, your, your abundant blessing will flow upon our dear people, uh, this congregation of believers. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, the leadership would be especially blessed with uh, your wisdom and your grace at this time as they provide the right kind of leadership in this difficult situation. Uh, Lord, I pray for the church in the West as a whole uh, that their eyes will be, our eyes will be opened uh, to what you want us to see um, and, and we would be drawn to where you are working and would be able to join you in your great work. Father, I pray that every barrier that stands Uh, between that being accomplished and your will being accomplished and your mission being accomplished through the church, we pray, Father, that you will reveal those to the leaders and to people and uh, give us the grace, Father, uh, to be able to to look and to repent and to turn away from things that hold us back from being what we need to be. And I pray uh, your blessing upon those, Father, uh, whom you have called, We pray, Father, that you would guide them, provide for every need. And Lord, we pray that in the years to come, as we work together, that your kingdom would flourish and grow and that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that, Father, your church would be built and established and stands firm and strong. Uh, You said, I will build my church. And as you build your church, Father, we want to join you in your great work. And we pray that uh, those opportunities will be created for us as we move along. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Stevens, it has been a joy. And Lord willing, we can see each other in person, uh, bring a team, and get a chance to taste and see the good work that God is doing in India through you and through the India Gospel League. Thank you, Darren. We'll be looking forward to that. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. Our goal is to get you moving on mission. Follow our missions Facebook page at hpcc.missions and go to hpcc.church/missions to sign up for weekly service updates in Casper and beyond. You can also catch our other podcast episodes there. 
Thanks for joining us. God bless.